On the seventh day of the midwinter month, Cullum Kill was born, and on the ninth day of the midsummer month, he died. And fitting to his life was the season he came into it, for wintry was his life in respect of cold and darkness, pain and penance, and in respect of his inflicting hardship and discomfort on his own body. And further, fitting to the life he entered from this world was the season when he died, for it is the season that is purest and warmest and brightest and most shining of all the year. Manus O'Donnell, Beha Column Kilia, 1532. Welcome to this audiobook, produced by a barter heritage on behalf of Donegal County Council, with support from the Heritage Council. St. Colum Kill, also known as St. Columba, the Latin form of his name, was born in Donegal in either 520 or 521 AD. Before his death in Iona on the 9th of June, 593 AD, Colum Kill had become one of the most influential figures in Irish and British history. Colum Kill is one of Ireland's patron saints, a distinction he shares with Patrick and Bridget, and he is the patron saint of Derry. Colum Kill is not only an important figure for Ireland, but as the founder of monasteries in Iona and Scotland, he was a key catalyst for the spread of Christianity in Northern Britain. Though Derry, Iona, Durrow, Kells and lots of other places all around Ireland and Scotland have associations with Colum Kill, our audio guide is going to focus on his homeland, County Donegal, the place where he was born and raised. We'll take a journey to ancient monasteries, churches and holy wells at places like Garton, Kilmacrenan and Gishot. We'll set sail for Tory Island and tread the path of pilgrims at Glencolum Kill. But before we embark on our tourist or journey, we'll discover how we know what we know about St. Colum Kill. Understanding Colum Kill Since Colum Kill died in the late 6th century, people have been writing about him. However, even with the comparative wealth of texts about the saint, it would still not be possible to write an accurate modern biography of his life. Many of the early stories concerning Colum Kill were written many centuries after his death and are hagiographical in nature and full of fantastical tales describing miraculous powers and achievements. The earliest known surviving work that describes the life of Colum Kill is believed to be a vernacular poem, the Avra, a praise poetry eulogy of the saint's life that is traditionally believed to date to around 600 AD although the date of the text is subject to debate. The poem describes the noble ancestry of its subject and emphasises how Columkill embodies the ideals of Christianity, piety and learning. One of the most important works on Columkill is Adavnon's Vita Columbae. Adavnon, also known as St. Aunan, was the ninth abbot of Iona, and lived about a century after Colum Kill. 
He was a distant relative of Colum Kill, and he was a significant historical figure in his own right, later becoming venerated as a saint himself. His writings of Colum Kill is the earliest available to us, and draw upon earlier sources which are no longer extant. The Vita Columbae contains three books, detailing the prophecies, miracles, and the holy apparitions of Colum Kill. Although it is one of the most important sources of information on his life, it is short on biographical or narrative detail. Instead, it is a work that establishes Column Kill's holiness and his reputation as a saint. The 12th century Middle Irish life of Columba is an Irish language hagiography of Column Kill by an unknown author that is thought to have been written in Derry around 1150. It takes the form of a sermon which was preached annually on the saint's feast day of June 9th. It provides a detailed genealogy for Column Kill and attributes the foundation of the monastery at Derry to him. It also credits him with the establishment of monasteries at Raffoe, Durrow, Swords and on Tory Island. One of the most detailed and colourful sources of information on Column Kill is the Baha Column Killer, or the Life of Column Kill, that was completed in 1532. It was commissioned by Manus O'Donnell, the chief of Tyrconnell, a region that largely encompassed County Donegal with parts of Fermanagh, Sligo, Leitrim, Tyrone and Derry. Baha Column Killer is a remarkable work for the period. It is a detailed collection full of hagiography, myth and folk tales about Column Kill, and it is where a number of the most famous stories of the saint were first recorded. Though it must be noted that this was written almost a thousand years after the saint's death. The story of Column Kill and his deeds also appears in the Venerable Bede's Historia Ecclesiastica Gentis Anglorum, the Ecclesiastical History of the English People, that was written in 731. The book contains stories of Columkill's arrival in Scotland from Ireland, his conversion of the Picts to Christianity, and his involvement in the controversy over the date of Easter. The saint also appears in numerous references in the Irish annals, though these were generally compiled centuries after his death and are imbued with hagiography and legend. It should also be noted that Colin Kill and his followers played an important pioneering role in the initiation and development of the particular form of chronicle writing that developed into the text we now know as the Annals. Stories about Colin Kill also appear in the lives of other saints and in folklore. The stories often reflect more about the person or institution who commissioned them rather than Colin Kill himself. In recent years, authors like Maura Herbert, Brian Lacey and others have produced insightful and detailed accounts of Colum Kill's life and legacy that bring the older sources together with the broader historical context and archaeological information, giving us a deeper and more nuanced understanding of Colum Kill and the world he lived in. This audiobook would not have been possible without their work. Our story begins where Column Kill was born, at Garten in Donegal. 
We'll start by travelling to the shores of Garton Lock to visit the Columkill Heritage Centre to gain an overview of the saint and his associations with the area. Columkill Heritage Centre the landscape around Garton is dominated by three lakes, Loch Akibbin, Loch Nachialli and Garton Loch. It was in the green hills around the lakes that Colum Kill was said to have been born and raised. Most of the connection between Colum Kill and Garton comes through Manus O'Donnell's The Life of Colum Kill, written in 1532. It dates to around a thousand years after the saint's time, but it is comprehensive in detail and provides many locations that can be identified in the landscape today. Garton's close associations with Column Kill developed into a truss or pilgrimage route that wove its way around the lakes. Today you can find the Column Kill Heritage Centre beautifully situated on the shore of Garton Lock. The centre tells the story of Columkill's life and legacy through interpretive displays and an audiovisual film. The exhibition provides context on the early Irish church and houses replicas and representations of other famous sites and artefacts around Donegal. One of the centrepieces is a 19th century full-scale plaster model of one of the high crosses at Kells in County Meath. There is a replica of the 6th to 8th century bell of St. Column Kill, which was kept in the garden area and passed down through successive generations of one family. According to tradition, water drunk from the bell is a cure for any illness. Another important local tradition concerns garden clay. The clay was described in detail by Manus O'Donnell. Flour isn't whiter or finer than the clay found there, and anyone who eats it or carries it with them is never burned or drowned, nor will they die without a priest. And every woman who eats it in the pangs of childbirth will be helped, and anyone that puts it on their tongue on the first day that they are seized by a fever will have no bitter taste in their mouth as long as the fever lasts. And it is its nature to heal every disease. But it must be one of the natives of Garton that digs the clay for distribution. For it is said that once a stranger went to dig it, but it fled from him and went into the heart of a tree or great trunk nearby, and it was not found again in its own place until holy water was sprinkled there and the place was blessed. To this day, the O'Friel family are hereditary keepers of Garton clay and only they may distribute it for the clay to be effective. According to tradition, it must never be requested. Instead, it must be given freely as an unasked-for gift. The O'Friel family have a claim to be the closest blood relative to Colum Kill. According to their genealogies, they are descended from Owen, the saint's brother. Let's continue our journey around Garton to Lachnacu, the Stone of Sorrow claimed by some to be the place where Column Kill was born. 
Laknaku. The large flagstone at Laknaku is one of the places where it is claimed that Colum Kill's mother Ethna gave birth to him. The rival place for his birth is perhaps more credibly identified as Rathcano at nearby Churchtown. According to tradition, this stone slab formed the floor of the tent where Ethna delivered the baby Colum Kill into the world. Another tradition recounted in Manus O'Donnell's works describes how the stone got its name. Once he was in a certain place called Gurtnalika, the field of the flagstone, in Garten, west of Ratkano, where he was born. A local man came to him because many of his friends and family had died, and he was distraught and very sorrowful after them. The extent of his sorrow was so great that he would rather die than live after them. And when Colum Kill saw him, he had great pity for him, and blessed a flagstone that was beside him, and gave that man water from it to drink, so that his sorrow disappeared. And Colum Kill left as a grace on that stone that the sorrow of anyone who would drink from it would leave them. Laknakua is the name of that stone today, in memory of that great miracle. The name Laknakuya can be roughly translated to the flagstone of loneliness. Though the Irish word kua means a very specific sort of loneliness, a particularly deep sense of homesickness, a terrible longing for your place, your family and your community. In the 19th century, the stone was once again used to assuage kuya, sorrow and grief. It became a tradition that emigrants would spend their last night on the flagstone in the hope that it would prevent them from being homesick while they began a new life overseas. And those who had to leave their families thought that sleeping on the stone would make their sadness easier to bear. Many of these emigrants would board ships at the port of Derry, again following in the footsteps of Column Kill, who was believed to have left Ireland from that same port so many centuries before. The stone is covered with cup marks, a form of megalithic art typical of the late Neolithic or early Bronze Age period, when the first copper and gold objects began to be made in Ireland. It appears that the mound is some form of megalithic tomb, quite possibly a wedge tomb, and as such gives an insight into the Christianization of older, sacred places. A large stone cross was erected in the 19th century by the Adairs of Glenvay Castle to mark Columkill's birthplace. We will continue our story with the short journey to Rathcano, better known as Columkill's Abbey in Churchtown. Churchtown. Ratcano. Manus O'Donnell's life of Colum Kill describes how Colum Kill was born at Ratcano, meaning Fort of the Nuts. Colum Kill was born on the 7th of December in Garten at Kennel Chunnel, and Ratcano is the name of the specific place in Garten. It is in O'Donnell's text that Colum Kill's association with the Garten area is given most detail 
But Gardiner's claim on the saint is also supported by references in the 12th century life of Columkill. According to tradition, this site was an ancestral home of the Kennel Chanel, and it was gifted to Columkill by his kinfolk to be used as a monastery. Columkill's father was Felemy, a noble member of the Kennel Chanel dynasty, and he was said to have been a descendant of the legendary Nile of the Nine Hostages. The Kennel Chanel were a powerful force in the northwest of Ireland, with lands that may have stretched from Derry all the way past the location of modern Donegal town to the area around Drumholme in the south of County Donegal. They formed part of what would later collectively become known as the Enail, who rose to rule over much of the northern half of Ireland during the early medieval period. Columkill's mother was Ethna. Her origins are rather obscured historically. Some of the tales about her say that she came from the Ivaraca dynasty from County Wexford, others that she came from elsewhere in Leinster, or perhaps from Manor, and others that she was more local, being from Thanet. Columkill's aristocratic family undoubtedly helped him to become first established as a person of note, while his talents and achievements would establish his legend. At Churchtown today, you can find a small stone chapel thought to have been commissioned by Manus O'Donnell. Two stone crosses, the rectangular foundational remains of a building known as the Abbey, and a holy well. The features form part of a truss between Column Kill's feast day on the 9th of June and the end of the truss season on the 15th of August. Pilgrims perform a series of prayers and actions at each stop. The landscape around here is imbued with tales of Column Kill, with a number of locations that form part of the story of his early life. Even his first baby steps are remembered, as a rock outcrop nearby bears the marks of his blessed baby feet. It is known as Kedamach Column Killia, the first going of Column Kill. Let's continue following in the steps of the infant saint to the place of his baptism at Temple Douglas. Temple Douglas According to Manus O'Donnell's Life of Column Kill, the saint was believed to have been baptised here at Temple Douglas. With his approval, born in Garton, fostered in Kilmacrenan alone, this child of beauty was baptised in Temple Douglas, God's own. He was baptised by his foster father, a priest by the name of Krichnachan. A fosterage, whereby aristocratic children were sent away to be reared and educated by another noble family, was a common aspect of early medieval society in Ireland. This practice helped to create lasting alliances and reduced feuding amongst rival dynasties. That Colin Kill was fostered with a priest suggested that even from a very young age he was on a path to spiritual rather than secular power. The priest who baptised him originally gave him the name Criffin, meaning the fox. Though this was an old Irish name, 
It also had a rather unfortunate dual meaning, as Griffin could also mean deceitful one. However, the angels of heaven, knowing that this would be an inappropriate name for a child who would become such a revered figure, put it in the hearts of his playmates and all who knew him as a young boy to call him Colum Kill, which means the Dove of the Church. Certainly a more appropriate name for a holy man than the deceitful fox. It was Crichnachan who first noted the holy potential in Colum Kill. Aunan recorded how, one night when the priest was returning to his house from church, he saw the whole house bathed in a bright light, and poised over the face of the sleeping child was a fiery ball of light. He began to tremble and bowed his face to the ground, for he recognized that the grace of the Holy Ghost was poured from heaven upon his foster son, and he stood in awe. At Temple Douglas today, you can find the ruins of a 16th-century church within a graveyard, along with the footprint of a structure known as the Abbot's House. The church may have been founded by Manus O'Donnell himself on the site of an earlier foundation, as part of his celebration of Column Kill. Another site that connects both Manus O'Donnell and Column Kill is the Rock of Doom and its neighbouring Holy Well. Dune Well and the Rock of Dune The Holy Well at Dune is said to have been first blessed by Father O'Friel and Father Gallagher. Water from the well is believed to have healing properties, and to this day people still visit the site to collect the water and to pray for a cure. A raggy tree can be seen next to the well. This is a tradition whereby people seeking a cure for particular ailments tie a strip of cloth to a branch. As the rag deteriorates, the illness alleviates. Just next to the well, there is a steep hill known as the Rock of Doom. This is the site of the secular ceremony of the inauguration of the O'Donnell Chieftains, the religious ceremony having taken place earlier in the nearby abbey at Kilmacrenan. It is recorded that 25 chieftains were inaugurated here, beginning with Egnachon in 1200 AD and ending with the controversial inauguration of Neil Garve O'Donnell in 1603. He had been outraged when he was passed over for chieftainship in 1592, when his cousin Red Hugh O'Donnell was chosen instead. This led the cousins into a bitter feud. Neilgarv joined the side of the English during the Nine Years' War and helped them to seize Derry and Donegal Town. When Red Hugh fled Ireland in 1602, Neilgarv claimed the chieftainship for his own, and he was inaugurated here on the Rock of Doon in 1603, though many of the O'Donnells and their dependents did not support him in his claim. Neilgarv ended up eventually falling foul of the English, and he was accused of aiding Cahar-Dahorty's rebellion. Both Nilgarv and his son Nyachtan were sent to the Tower of London, where they remained until their deaths. Let's continue our journey by travelling to where the spiritual aspect of the O'Donnell inauguration was carried out, 
at Kilmacrenan. Kilmacrenan. This is believed to be the place where Colum Kill was raised and educated by his foster father, the priest Kriknachon. The original name of this place was said to be Dira Ethna, the Oakwood of Ethna, perhaps named in honour of Colum Kill's mother. An early church was said to have been founded here, and according to Manus O'Donnell, this is reputed to be the location of a monastery founded by Colum Kill before he left for Iona. The visible remains chiefly consists of the fragile ruins of a Franciscan friary, founded after 1537 by Manus O'Donnell himself. Opposite, you can see the ruins of a 17th-18th century Church of Ireland church. Kilmacrenan is also the place where the religious aspect of the inauguration of the O'Donnell chieftains occurred before they processed to the Rock of Doom to continue the ceremonies. The Franciscan Abbey was dissolved in the 16th century during the dissolution of the monasteries, and the roof was removed from the building in 1610, leading it to fall into disrepair. Though the local community, through the Kilmacrenan Abbey Preservation Society, are working to ensure the preservation of this important monument, with the support of Donegal County Council. Let us head north now, up the stunning landscapes around Falcara, to see a small church with a very big cross. Rye Church Rye, or Rye Munchardowney Old Church, is thought to stand on the site of an early medieval monastery associated with St. Finon, a contemporary of Column Kill. The site is perhaps most remarkable for the enormous stone high cross that is now positioned within the church. John O'Donovan, who visited the area in 1835 while carrying out work for the Ordnance Survey of Ireland, recorded the local tradition of how the cross came to be erected here. According to the story, the cross was originally intended to be erected on Tory Island. The cross was hewn from an area called the Brockers. As Colum Kill and his followers were carrying the cross, it began to rain. Colum Kill realised that he was missing his gospel and that he would give the cross as a reward to whichever of his followers retrieved the book. St. Finon ran back all the way to the quarry site, where he found a crow sheltering the holy book under its wings. Finon took the book and received his reward from Column Kill, so he erected the cross here at the site of his new monastery. The cross stands nearly six metres tall, making it the tallest stone cross in Ireland, and according to Brian Lacey, it is quite possibly one of the oldest high crosses in the country too, as he has suggested it dates to the early 9th century. It is carved from a thin slab of schist. Though it is undecorated apart from the ring that surrounds the head, it bears similarity in form to St. John's Cross and St. Oran's Cross that can be found at Column Kill's most famous foundation on Iona. Indeed, Rye Church has strong associations with Iona. In the 7th century, no fewer than four of the abbots of Iona came from this area. 
The church that we see today is thought to date to after 1622. The church itself is rather plain, with four large round-headed windows and a pointed doorway. However, there are still some visible traces of an earlier foundation. Quernstones for grinding cereal can be seen at the base of the cross in the church, and a bullon stone can be found in the historic graveyard. Rye Church also has a darker story, of a bloody massacre known as the Martha Reiche, when Cromwellian soldiers slaughtered the entire congregation who were attending Mass in the church in the 17th century. Let's leave Rye Church to take a short journey southeast to Tullahabegli. Tullahar Begley. The story of the foundation of Tullahar Begley originates from Manus O'Donnell's Life of Colum Kill, as part of the tale of Colum Kill, Finon, Dovhach, and Begley, throwing their staffs from the summit of Kenochnaniv. It was St. Begley's staff that landed here, and so, according to the story, he established his church on a low mound. This story is reflected in the name Tullaha Begli, as it derives from Tullag Begli, meaning Begli's hillock. A traditional tale tells another story about the foundation of the church. It describes how Begli was travelling through the land with no fixed destination in mind, only that God wanted him to continue travelling until he found the right place to establish a church. Begley had no possessions, save for a donkey that he had found lost and wandering by itself. The donkey was obstinate and refused to obey any instructions, perhaps explaining why it had been left to its own devices. One evening, as the night closed in, Begley decided to rest for the evening. He left the awkward donkey to wander in the fresh grass. As he rested, Begley suddenly had a vision. With utter clarity, he knew that wherever the donkey settled himself was the right place to establish the church. The saint followed the hoofprints and found the donkey sleeping on a grassy mound, a place where the local pagans held celebrations. So St. Begley took possession of the place and established the church of Tullahabegli. Today, you can find the foundations of a medieval church set within a historic graveyard. The hillock or low mound that the church stands on may be an earlier archaeological feature. In the field opposite, a more distinctive mound can be seen. This larger mound is known as an relic vjog, meaning the small graveyard. The wider area around the church is a very historic landscape, with a number of monuments nearby, including a holy well also named in honour of St. Begley, and a court tomb dating to the Neolithic period that was sadly destroyed in the 1970s. We leave Tullaha Begley now to follow the flight of the staff thrown by Colum Kill as we set sail for Tory Island. Tory Island over 14 kilometres off the west coast of Donegal and surrounded by the tempestuous waters of the Atlantic Ocean, Tory Island is the most remote of Ireland's inhabited islands. The island is small, 
and home to a community of approximately 120 people. This vibrant community is famed for its character, its creativity and love of art and music. The island is an enchantingly beautiful place where you can find a story around every corner, from tales of the terrifying balor of the evil eye to curses causing shipwrecks to Colum Kill himself. The earliest reference to a church on Tory comes from the Annals of Tionach, that recorded a church being constructed on the island in 621 AD. Colum Kill's links to Tory come primarily from Manus O'Donnell's Life of Colum Kill. The first story describes how Colum Kill, accompanied by Saints Finon, Dovhoch and Begley, climbed up to the peak of Canochnaniev, the hill overlooking where the ferry leaves for the island today. As they took in the view from the hill, they discussed who would have the task of converting the people of Tory Island to Christianity. To decide, they each threw their staff as far as they could. Begley's landed on the mainland, where he later founded the church at Tullaha Begley. Dovhoks landed on Inishdui Island. Fionon split the rock near the shore and a waterfall known as Asfionon began to pour out while Colum Kill's Crozier landed on Tory, winning him the reward of converting the islanders. His Crozier is said to have formed a hollow on Tory's northeast cliffs. Following this triumph, Colum Kill set out across the Atlantic to claim his prize. However, the ruler of the island, Ilil, was not overly enamoured with the prospect of Colum Kill as a neighbour, and refused permission for him to establish a monastery on the island. Columkill bargained with Illil, and made the very humble request for just as much land as his cloak would cover. Not wanting to appear churlish, Illil agreed, only to be enraged when Columkill's cloak magically expanded to cover the entire island. In his anger at being tricked, Illil unleashed his venomous dog on Columkill. As the dog bounded towards the saint with venom dripping from his maw, Colum Kill made the sign of the cross and commanded the dog to die on the spot, and the dog duly obliged. Seeing this, Ilil fell to his knees and was converted. He granted the island to Colum Kill, who built his monastery there. Tory Island has a number of monastic features that are imbued with stories of Colum Kill. The majority of these features are clustered around the West Town. They include the iconic Tau Cross, the old graveyard which contains architectural fragments and features, the Round Tower, one of the smallest examples in Ireland, and St John's Altar that holds a number of pieces of early medieval sculpture, such as the head of a stone cross and millstones. Similarly, St Bridget's Oratory is a small locked altar hidden away between the islanders' houses. The past is hidden in plain sight on Tory Island. Manus O'Donnell's work also recounts how the story of Columkill's piety and wisdom spread worldwide, and so inspired the children of the King of India, six boys and one girl, that they travelled from India to Tory. On coming ashore, they died of exhaustion after their long voyage. Colum Kill was moved by their devotion and prayed so that they may be revived. 
which miraculously worked. The children told the story of their journey and their reasons for travelling. Colm Kill sadly told them that they could not escape death, but that he would give them absolution. After receiving their blessing, the children all peacefully died. He ordered that a stone chapel be built for them that became known as Chapel on Worcestershire, the Church of the Seven. They were all buried in one plot, but in the morning the girl's body appeared on top of the grave, so she was reburied in a separate plot. Like garden clay, the earth from Worcestershire is said to have miraculous properties when it is given by a member of the Duggan family, as it is believed to protect homes from rats and mice. Let's all sail back to the mainland to continue our journey as we visit St. Aunan's Cathedral in Raffaux. St. Aunan's Cathedral, Raffaux. The 12th century life of Columba credits the saint with the foundation of Raffaux. Thereafter, Colin Kill founded Raffaux. It was there he brought back from death to life the right who had drowned in the mill pond. In Raffaux, moreover, his household lacked a plowshare, whereupon he blessed the hands of the little boy that was with him. Ferigner was his name. And Ferigner made the shear, and he was skilful in smith work thenceforth through Colum Kill's blessing. Colum Kill is also referenced as the founder of the monastery of Raffaux in Manus O'Donnell's Life of Colum Kill, which repeats the tale of the miraculous restoration of the millwright. Later in Manus O'Donnell's text, Colum Kill laments his exile and mentions several places that he longs for, including Beloved Raffaux of the Bells. Colum Kill's biographer, Alvnon, is also credited with the foundation of the monastery here, and indeed the cathedral is named St. Aunan, the anglicised version of Advnon, in his honour. He is also the patron saint of the Diocese of Raffaux, and the Catholic cathedral in Letterkenny is named after him. Raffaux became a diocesan see in the 12th century. A round tower that once stood in the monastery was demolished in 1636, the present cathedral dates from at least 1610, but it has been altered numerous times since then. If you look closely, you can also find echoes of an earlier building. Two pieces of a sculpted door lintel embedded in the wall of the cathedral are the only surviving fragments of the earlier monastic foundation and are thought to date from the 9th or 10th centuries. They can be seen in the vestibule at the west end of the cathedral, and in the north wall of the nave. We leave beloved Raffaux and its bells and head into the wild beauty of the Bluestack Mountains to a hidden treasure, Chishat. Chishat. Beautifully situated in the foothills of the Bluestack Mountains, Chishat is a wonderfully atmospheric heritage site. Little is known of the early history of Gisert, and Colum Kill's association with the site derives from oral tradition. It is said that when Colum Kill came to the area, he looked through the quern stone kept as a relic on the altar and blessed all the places he could see, and founded a church there. 
None of the sources from the early medieval period relate to a church at Gisert, or connect the saints with the area. However, the name itself suggests that the site is of relatively early ecclesiastical origin. Gisert is borrowing from the Latin desertum, meaning an isolated place, and can be found at other hermitages and remote early monastic sites. The visible remains today consist of a large enclosure that surrounds dry stone altars, a holy well, an historic graveyard, a smaller enclosure with an unusual feature known as Column Kills Arch, and a number of penitential stations that demonstrate the importance of the site as a place of pilgrimage. The traditional pattern day took place on the 9th of June, like other pilgrimages associated with Column Kill. An account in the National Folklore Collection refers to the Gishar clay. In a similar tale to the clay of Garten and Tory Island, the clay at Gisert is said to have powerful properties, and it is especially effective in banishing rats and rodents. Columkill's arch also has a tradition of curative properties. It is said that it can cure backache if penitents crawl three times through the arch while reciting prayers and lie on the flag, pressing their back into the cavity. In recent years, the GCERT Heritage Project, a collaboration between GCERT Heritage Group and IT Sligo, has carried out a number of surveys, assessments and excavations to help to better understand and protect this storied landscape. We leave the beautiful blue stacks to travel on to the valley that is so imbued with tales of the saint that it bears his name to this day. Glen Colum Kill. Glen Colum Kill. A true wealth of heritage can be discovered in this scenic valley that shelters underneath Glen Head in the westernmost reaches of County Donegal. The link between Glen Colum Kill and the saint derives from Manus O'Donnell's Life of Colum Kill. A truss, or pilgrimage, is held here every year, beginning on Column Kill's feast day, on the 9th of June, where pilgrims visit each of the 15 penitential stations that are set out along the valley. These penitential stations are quite varied. Some have beautifully carved cross-inscribed slabs, while others are simple cairns. The first station is a modified megalithic tomb, its appropriation into Christian pilgrimage providing a fascinating blend of ancient belief and sacred spaces with Christianity. Indeed, this valley abounds with prehistoric tombs, showing that people have been attracted to its unique tranquility and beauty for millennia, and that this valley was considered to be sacred long before Christianity reached these shores. The pilgrim performs particular prescribed rituals at each of the 15 stations as they make their way around the truss. This normally consists of circling the station while saying a number of prayers. A number of the stations have fascinating stories and folklore attached to them, such as the 8th station, Clochaneni, the Stone of the Gathering. This beautiful tall cross pillar has a small hole through the centre point of the cross head, 
According to folklore, if you look through the hole, you can catch a glimpse of paradise. However, a local in 1936 said that the visions of heaven had gone away because the people are no longer what they used to be, and the class that's going around now don't deserve to see such sights. The Twelfth is another stone with a big story. It is situated in Balyananyaun, the village of the demons. According to Manus O'Donnell, long ago, this valley was haunted by demons, the very same evil spirits that St. Patrick had driven out of Crookpatrick in County Mayo. The demons cloaked the valley in a thick mist and turned the river into a fiery stream that no one could cross to try meant certain death. Angels informed Colum Kill of this, so he gathered a band of saints to cleanse the valley. They established a camp beside the fiery stream, when all of a sudden a spear flew out of the mist and killed Colum Kill's servant. That angered the saint. He seized the same spear and hurled it back across the stream, and the land was yielded to him as the spear travelled towards the mist, for the mist fled before Colum Kill's cast. After that, Colum Kill blessed the stream and its venom and magic fire left it, allowing the saint and his retinue to cross. An angel brought him a round green stone and told him to throw it at the demons so that they and the mist would flee before it. The angel also told him to throw his own bell, the Duduashak, at them. Columkill did as the angel commanded, and he was victorious. The demons escaped to a rock out in the sea opposite the western headland of the valley. Columkill followed and ordered the demons to go into the sea and to transform into the form of fish forever. In the fear that anyone would eat them and be poisoned, Columkill left a sign on them, marking them as different from any other fish, turning them red and blind in one eye. According to Manus O'Donnell, fishermen still caught such fish in his day, but recognising them from the old story, they immediately threw them back into the sea again. Following his victory, Columkill blessed the land and made it a sanctuary. To this day, the valley remains a blessed place in every sense of the word. Let's continue on our journey to our final destination. Drum home. Drum home. When you visit Drum home today, you can see the ruins of a late medieval church surrounded by an atmospheric graveyard. The name Drum home derives from the Irish Drumturma, meaning the ridge of the tomb. This evocative name is supported from Drumholm's appearance in Aunan's Vitae Columbae as a place where many Columban monks were buried, suggesting that there was an early monastery, or at the very least, a consecrated Columban burial ground here. Archaeological investigations, including a geophysical survey and targeted excavation, were carried out at the instigation of Drumholm Heritage Society. The investigations revealed that the church and graveyard are set within a large oval-shaped enclosure, characteristic of early medieval monastic sites. In Aunan's work, Drumholm is described in an account of the 7th-century St. Arnon, 
who was a nephew and follower of Colum Kill. On that night when St. Colum Kill, by a happy and blessed death, passed from earth to heaven, while I and others with me were engaged in fishing in the valley of the River Fend, we saw the whole vault of heaven become suddenly illuminated. Struck by the suddenness of the miracle, we raised our eyes and looked towards the east, when, lo, there appeared something like an immense pillar of fire, which seemed to us, as it ascended upwards at that midnight, to illuminate the whole earth like the summer sun at noon. And after that column penetrated the heavens, darkness followed, as if the sun had just set. These miraculous visions, then, which were seen at the very hour of our venerable patron's departure, show clearly that the Lord had conferred on him eternal honours. The monastery at Trumholm was situated on the very southern border of the Kennel Connell. Early Irish monasteries were often founded on such border territories, often for a very practical and political reason. Where the boundaries of rival kingdoms meet is often known as swordland, as it was in the front line of any war or political disagreement and subject to constant raiding and turbulence. Establishing it as quite literally holy ground may have tempered the threat, though it should be noted that raiding monasteries was not the sole preserve of the Vikings. Irish kingdoms regularly raided monastic sites themselves, and there was even conflict between rival monasteries. In 764 AD, the monastery of Durrow, that was founded in County Offaly by either Columkill himself or one of his followers, fought a pitched battle with the monastery of Clonmacnoise and lost over 200 men. Columkill's Legacy One of the most famous stories about Colum Kill concerns what has been described as the oldest copyright judgment in history that eventually led to his exile. According to the tale, when Colum Kill visits St. Finian of Moville, he secretly copied Finian's rare and beautiful Psalter, a book of Psalms. St. Finian was outraged when he discovered this and claimed the copy for himself. Colum Kill brought the matter before Dermot MacCarroll, the High King at Tara, but the High King sided with Finian and proclaimed the famous judgment to every cow its calf, to every book its copy. To make matters worse, a son of the King of Connacht, who was a hostage at Tara, was executed on Germit's orders after he had accidentally killed someone while playing hurling. This was despite the young prince being under the saint's protection. Colum Kill was furious and swore to avenge both the prince and what he saw as an unjust verdict. He returned home to his powerful family, the Kennel Connell, who rose up in anger at the insults done to their most illustrious son. They joined forces with the neighbouring Kennel Owen and with the Kingdom of Connacht, who sought revenge for their murdered prince. This powerful confederation met with the army of the High King at the Battle of Kuldrevna, believed to be near modern-day Drumcliff in County Sligo, in the shadow of Ben Bulban. The battle ended in victory for the Kennel Connell and their allies, though it was a costly and bloody affair. 
The Annals of Ulster recorded that 3,000 warriors were killed. Like all of the stories concerning Column Kill, there are elements of truth wrapped in layers of legend, hagiography and propaganda. The battle is often portrayed as a battle between the Christian Column Kill and the pagan High King who employed druids against them. The Kennel Connell are even said to have carried into battle the Psalter Column Kill copied, which became known as the Cahuck. Centuries later, this became a tradition of the O'Donnells, who used the holy book as their battle standard that they carried into war. The Cahuck was brought to France in 1691, but was brought back to Ireland by Sir Neil O'Donnell in 1802. It was deposited in the Royal Irish Academy in 1843, but it is still held to this day. According to Aunan, in 561 AD, a year after the battle, Colum Kill was excommunicated at a synod at Teltown in Meath for his role in causing the conflict. Though Aunan goes on to say that this verdict was soon revoked. Other later sources suggest Colum Kill felt great personal guilt at the loss of life. Whatever the case may be, in 562 AD, two years after Kildrevna, Colum Kill boarded a boat at Derry as he left Ireland in exile. He sailed for Scotland, Iona, and everlasting fame. Colum Kill has an enduring legacy to this day. Famous foundations like Iona and other sites in Scotland around Argyll, Tarbot Ness and the Outer Hebrides, and sites in Ireland like Derry, Duro in County Offaly, Kells in County Meath, Cliff in County Sligo and Swords in County Dublin all have close associations with the saint, with many churches and monasteries claiming that they were founded by Colum Kill. Other places have strong traditions linking the saint to their localities. There is another Glen Colum Kill in the Burren of County Clare, and the saint is said to have spent time on the Arran Islands before he fell out with St Enda, who refused to give a portion of the islands to him. Colum Kill is said to have cursed Inish Moor, to always be without enough turf or firewood to make a fire. Colum Kill also has a physical legacy in a number of objects associated with them. These include the Cahak and its elaborate shrine, the Money Musk reliquary that was said to have once held the relics of Colum Kill, and manuscripts that were produced by Columban monks most notably the Book of Duro, the Lindisfarne Gospels, and the world-famous Book of Kells, along with a myriad of other notable objects. As the 12th-century life of St. Columba describes, he sained 300 victorious crosses, 300 wellsprings that were swift, a hundred book satchels, with a hundred croziers, with a hundred wallets. Beyond the material objects and sacred places, it is impossible to overstate the legacy that Colum Kill has left. He is a talismanic figure who unites communities and faiths. He connects Ireland to Scotland and Northern Britain. Colum Kill's memory has been kept alive for one and a half thousand years. The diverse ways in which he has been celebrated are testament to his wide knowledge and interests. He was renowned not only for his spirituality and piety, but also for his love of music and poetry, literature and nature. 
His story continues to inspire and illuminate our lives like his followers illuminated their manuscripts. This audio guide is an introduction to Colum Kill and his homeland of Donegal. Commissioned by Donegal County Council with the support of the Heritage Council, it was produced by Abarta Heritage in honour of the 1500th anniversary of Colum Kill's birth. The audio guide was written by Neil Jackman and narrated by Jerry O'Brien. The guide was recorded in Bluebird Studios with sound engineer Declan Nonigan and producers Roisin Burke and Tara Clark. We wish to thank Donegal County Council Heritage Officer Joseph Gallagher for his support throughout this project. You can discover more about the locations featured in this audio guide by visiting columnkill.org, the website of the Slee Column Kill, St. Column Kill's Trail that connects together Columban sites in Ireland and Scotland. For more audio guides and audio books, please visit abartaheritage.ie